Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. As a new Western Union customer, you can enjoy a $0 transfer fee on your first international online money transfer. Send money to your loved ones back home the fast, easy, and reliable way. Visit westernunion.com or download their app today to get started. And your first transfer fee is free. Services offered by Western Union Financial Services, Inc., NMLS 906983 or Western Union International Services, LLC, NMLS 906985, FX Gain Supply. see if i can do a steven tyler squawk for the opening here so everyone this early i know we'll see this is me waking (laughs) you're gonna wake the neighborhood i know right i gotta step away here we go (laughs) zoom hated that so much that they they switched your microphones (laughs) zoom is like that is quite enough at 9 42 in the morning we don't we don't need that oh man hello stoppies hi we are Talking Aerosmith, baby. Wow. Oh, boy. <laughs> Have I dreaded this. <laughs> Not one of my favorite bands. Uh, even the classic material. But um, I do got to say, for a band that is, you know, has one foot, both hands, and the tip of their dicks in the grave... They sound pretty, pretty virile on this album. It's true. It's true. You got to give that squawk some credit. Um, besides it's in its ability to wake one up in the morning. It's also uh, it's yeah, it's still pretty potent after all these years. So we're talking Aerosmith, but we're talking late stage Aerosmith, a.k.a. 2014, 2012. Sorry, Ter- 2012. Late uh, stage Aerosmith, terminal Aerosmith. Ter- terminal Aerosmith. <laughs> 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 right. <laughs> Exit ramp Aerosmith. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, so 2012, uh, the the most recent album that they put out, long in the making, significant gap between uh, productions, um, lot fraught um, production uh, stuff, which we were gonna get really into. So I, this is great because you, so you hate Aerosmith. This is great. I feel very um, weirdly ambivalent about Aerosmith, but um, the guest that we have today is not just a fan of Aerosmith, but like an expert on all things heavy metal um this is i believe our first guest with a wikipedia page so um basically this is it guys we've (laughs) fully made it we have the incredible prolific martin popoff on the show today who is a canadian music journalist a critic an author he's written it says on your website over 
I, or approximately 90 ish books on hard rock, heavy metal, prog rock, punk and record collecting um, just came out with a brand new book called Anthem about Rush in the 70s. Uh, and we are so excited to have him here to talk about this ridiculous fucking album. Uh, Martin Popoff, thank you for being on the show. Yes, thanks for having me. This is very strange talking for a long time about this this crappy Aerosmith album. <laughs> this will be interesting. Let's see how this goes. Welcome to our world. Yes. <laughs> you'd be surprised how long you can ramble about a bad album. Yeah, love what you guys do. And oh, which, also, by the way, it, well, yeah, I was yeah, listening just... to uh, Make It Stop, Bad Music. Good times. I'm Heather Mac. <laughs> Mike Dunn, and this is a little early for us. I, yeah, we're we're off we, our game. We're off our rockers. We're trying. Um, but actually, I was going to segue because I I also neglected to mention that Martin is also part of our Pantheon Pod family, of yes. course, and also produces a podcast called The History in Five Songs, which um you should tell the listeners about. And then I want to hear about your experience, your take on Aerosmith as a scholar, as an eminent scholar of the genre. Um, this is how I make you sound even fancier than you already are to lend us an air of legitimacy. Do you see how this works? It's great. You should have said genre like Alex Trebek does where he goes, Jean. I was trying <laughs> just to be a dick, just to say, just cause he can. So yeah, so Martin, tell us about, tell us about uh, your experience with Aerosmith. What does Aerosmith mean to you? What does this band to you? Well, uh, you know, I'm I'm very old, so I'm 57 years old. A couple of days ago, so I, I was into Aerosmith at probably 10 years old, 11 years old, 1974. So I came in maybe with the first album, maybe with the second album, Get Your Wings. But you know, uh, everybody I grew up with like things basically Toys in the Attic and Rocks are absolute classics. Uh, this was the era where they were at their absolute peak. They could do no wrong. They were uh, America's greatest rock and roll band, uh, just like the Rolling Stones is the world's greatest rock and roll band. And the Clash is the only band that matters. Right. Um, mm -hmm. But this is when Aerosmith was doing like 75, 76. They were amazing. Everybody loved them. They were they were the toxic twins, you know, Joe Perry, uh, Steven Tyler. Uh, things started to go down a little bit, uh, draw the line into Night of the Ruts. They had some problems there, um, but uh, basically they came back so big in the 80s. Um, you know, for, uh, Done With Mirrors didn't do that great, but they, then they, you know, the, the John Kalodner era with Permanent Vacation and Pump, they were massive, massive, massive band. They're probably the, the biggest example, to put it in cultural context, uh, of, um, of an old school band, a 70s band, doing amazing in the 80s. You know, Kiss and Alice Cooper, a few other bands did well. Uh, right. Scorpions, Judas Priest. Um, but Aerosmith was the biggest. Uh, I think, uh, what, did the, what did they have? Like seven times platinum, um, five times platinum for some of these permanent vacation. And then um, I believe uh, Get a Grip might've been nine times platinum or seven. Maybe that one's seven. That That's probably the biggest. But you get into the 90s and just like defying all odds, they, yeah. they just keep getting bigger and bigger. They're not supposed to do anything in the 90s. I mean, the 90s is supposed to be the era of grunge and then industrial music, but they just they just stay massive with this Get a Grip album. And, and you know, starting a little earlier, you get into that power ballad thing that Aerosmith mm -hmm. participated in. Cheap Trick, Heart did it as well. I think Aerosmith, and as we'll talk about when we do the, you know, talk about this album, I think they are the most offensive at this. They, um, they're they're the most egregious. They're the guys that that really 
uh, really upset the fans the most. It, somehow it fit okay with Hart, didn't fit that great with Cheap Trick, and it really didn't fit with Aerosmith. Alice Cooper did this as well. Kiss did this. Um, but yeah, so they have this massive album, and then Nine Lives comes out, and things are going down. I think it went two times platinum, and then the gap starts going, right? Then you go a long time between albums. Uh, just push play. I think that's what it's called. Just push play, right? Right. Um, that was early 2000s, kind yeah, of. Yeah, and that was lady. the most hated one, yeah. really, for for a long time. It was very poppy, and it had all the all the um, you know, the corporate tropes that we'll talk about this with this album. Then the gaps, you know, again, years and years between albums, they do this kind of blues cover album that no one cares about, honking on Bobo. And then this album in 2012. <laughs> well, can, so, can we just talk about honking on Bobo? Yeah. <laughs> Weird. Yeah. And, and, but, but I mean, bands do this. I mean, it's like these are just expected things that some of these bands do. And there's a lot of expected things that we'll talk about on this album that just like everybody just it's eye roll. It's OK, Boomer. Right. Um, you don't you don't really want to see these expected things. And, and you know, that's that's one of the one of the big narratives, I suppose, of this album. But but yeah, so basically, this is a band that uh, that is is super huge. One of America's biggest bands of all time. Um but they had these two eras where they did amazing. And they're, they're, they're essentially the precursor to hair metal. They're one of the big bands that kind of begats Van Halen and begats Motley Crue and begats Warrant and certainly Poison. I mean, Brett Michaels, that whole thing, Cinderella. Poison yeah. and Cinderella, the two biggest bands are essentially Aerosmith Redux, right? So, so they're this massive band in the 70s. They, they do great. Um, they 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 are are you know guilty of causing hair metal, and then they have this crazy inexplicable period where they do amazing in the '80s as basically the grandfathers who are allowed to exist, and then they and then they're huge in the '90s again. That '90s thing is a little bit like Ozzy being huge in the '90s and right. DC being huge in the '90s again. These three bands of the old bands kind of like are are slightly bigger than they should be uh, in the '90s. So. There's yeah. So what you're saying is that 2012 era, era Aerosmith, perhaps not uh, the the pinnacle of their career. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and no one no one really badly wants an Aerosmith album, and no one really thinks it's going to be that good. But the problem is they keep crying wolf over and over and over oh, yeah. again with with lots and lots of like little stuff coming out of it because they got a lot of time to talk there. They are accessible for interviews, so they will they will do interviews in 2006 telling you the new albums around the corner. And then 2000, oh, yeah. <laughs> 2009 and 2011, it's coming, it's coming. And it's going to be produced by Brendan O'Brien. And then, oh, wait, it's not Brendan O'Brien anymore. And then a couple songs go on compilations. And then, you know, yeah. maybe one or two get played live Can or we... they show up in stupid video games or something. It's I like, was... <laughs> I was about yeah. to say, yeah, let's talk. Let's talk about this. So, okay, so I, I don't think we actually officially mentioned the name of the album. So we're talking about music from another dimension with an exclamation point. Um, you know, if they needed, they felt that they needed to add an exclamation point to imply excitement. Um, probably not a great <laughs> sign. But um, so this came out in 2012. But you're right, Martin. There was this huge kind of like they had been talking about it for like five, six, seven years already about releasing this new album um, after honking on Bobo, which is just the funniest <laughs> fucking thing. I love it. I, I think, think that's so such a funny. Good... It's so And stupid. then the album, the album covers just a, uh, just a harmonica. So you know what Bobo is and what honking on it implies. Yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> which, you know, that's so... <laughs> Cute. Mwah, <chef's> kiss. <laughs> 
And as I was telling Heather, I, I couldn't find my copy of Music from Another Dimension for the same reason Honkin' on Bobo can't be found. They, they made an oversized version with that harmonica. So it's stored, I think, with my DVDs. But, but even my music from another dimension, I think, is, is this large size that doesn't fit on my CD rack. So, I mean, all sorts of problems with this record. But, but oh, uh, yeah. my big problem right now is I can't find my copy of it. It's, it's shoved <laughs> in with some box set somewhere, I think. Well, our yeah. big problem um, was listening to it, I'll say, because it was it's really, really bad in some really spectacular, fun ways. Um, but yeah, so I was just going to talk about some of the like problems that befell the production of this. So as you mentioned, um, they got distracted in 2008 by developing Guitar Hero Aerosmith, which is basically what this album is. Aerosmith's uh, Guitar Hero soundtrack. You know, they had their priorities straight. They were making, you know, video games for themselves. Then Steven Tyler, a little bit after that, had to go to rehab because he was addicted to painkillers. Well, ac actually, I, can I stop you for a second? Go right Before ahead. Before he went to rehab. Yes. He fell off the stage. Oh, yes. And got severely injured. Honestly, a callback to the uh, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band uh, scene where Steven Tyler gets electrocuted and falls off the stage. Oh, my God. He... I mean, he died from that in the movie, but yeah, <laughs> pretty similar. He didn't die, but he like broke his knees or something. Like he like really fucked his body up and then yeah. got addicted to painkillers. And, oh. and when he was in the hospital, none of his bandmates visited him in the hospital. And this almost broke up the band. Joe Perry was talking publicly about replacing yeah. him and looking for replacement yeah. singers. Lenny Kravitz was talked about, right? I mean, and then we're hearing, you know, just recently I saw, you know, one of those little, uh, you know, clickbait pictures with a headline. It says, rock stars that turn out to be not very nice people. And there's a picture of Steven, uh, uh, Steven Tyler there, right? So mm -hmm. it's like, it's like, you know, there's a lot of infighting. That's the problem. So leading up to this album, you hear about all this bad blood. Um, you know, and then later on, we, you know, another very recent story is how Joey Kramer was locked out of showing up to rehearsals to drum on the thing because he had an injury and they said, oh, he's not very good anymore. We're just going to replace him and get another. Yeah. So he was turned away by security guards. He was uh, to show up for his own band. You know, this is wasn't this, this at the Rock and Roll or the Grammys? That was this year, 2020. He was it might turned be away. this whole Las Vegas thing they're doing. I, I think it might have been in Vegas, but. Um, you, you know, it's it's this. Uh, unfortunately, like like they just have this. Uh, there's all these um, kind of uh, narratives that we don't hear about very much. But this is one band that really should be proud of the fact that they've had the same lineup essentially throughout with just a couple of little blips in there in, in 79, 80. You know, they did an album called uh, called Rock in a Hard Place. Um, where that where both guitarists were different, but it's still an amazing Aerosmith album. That's the cool thing about it. But other than that, they've had the same lineup. It's it's very unique to have this happen. ZZ Top, well, we won't get into that. They had some other uh, little little things there with their lineups, but um, so they should be proud of this. And they, you know, how hard is it to drum for Aerosmith? It, it's bass drum, snare, <laughs> bass drum, snare, do do do, and at a very slow speed because the songs are so full of production, they can't go very fast anymore, right? The oh, production yeah. is very heavy. Oh, yeah. yeah. The 12-part harmonies and... Oh, my God. It's, it's wild. Yeah. Um, well, it's so... The drumming is so simple that on one of the songs on this album, Steven Tyler plays the drums. <laughs> yeah. It. I think part of the... Re this, this album is 15 tracks long, and I think... Too long. I think maybe part of that is minutes. that 
everyone wanted to get their song credits in like this this album has song yeah. credits from everyone in the band there's a songwriting credit from um i believe uh joe perry's son um there's a songwriting credit from you know multiple other you know co-writers and the woman who wrote i don't want to miss a thing wrote one of the songs and i think like this is maybe something where if you trimmed it down to like eight or nine songs, you know, like albums used to yeah. be in the seventies, you might actually have a, a, a decent album, or at least if you're an Aerosmith fan, you would think it's a decent album. It like, would be it's, like, a... it's not my cup of tea, but, but it's so bloated with like, actually it's bloated mostly with extraneous ballads. Mm. There's like six ballads on this album. Yeah. That's way too many. That is breaking an unwritten rule of, of, of rock. I feel like. You know, I think the rule should be one ballad, two at most, three if you're an R&B performer. Yeah, how do you feel about ballads and rock, Martin? Well, yeah, so as I was saying before, I mean, one of the worst things Aerosmith did was they started off with Angel in uh, on, on Permanent Vacation, and that was written by the song Doctor Situation. I can't remember if it's actually Diane Warren in that case, but you know, in Aerosmith, it's really bad because this is supposed to be a stonesy rock and roll band, a dangerous band who write their own yeah. material. It's a five piece band that you should be able to write your own material. And then they, they actually, you know, their first big hit was a ballad dream on, but home tonight was a great song. You see me crying was a great song. These guys actually, when they did it themselves, did really, really good ballads, but then they slowly started going downhill. Jamie's got a gun is not a bad song, but then, you know, basically, yeah, as, as Mike was saying, we've got uh, Diane Warren on here writing. We all fall down. Yeah. We've got Marty Fred Fredrickson as a song doctor. He's all over the place. He song doctors for all sorts of people. He did stuff with scorpions and I think he's done Def Leppard as well. Um, so, you know, it's these bands, what, what I hate about this the most is, is A, the ballad thing. And, and, you know, the bad thing about the ballad thing and having a song doctor do it is like, this is supposed to be your most intimate uh, tell-all moment. It's, it's, you know, you're, you're being emotional here, and, but it's somebody else's emotions talking about this ballad. And the other thing, you know, that I just hate about this in general, the song doctor thing, it's almost like, you know, if, uh, if this was the NFL and, and Tom Brady said, you know, uh, I'm, I'm your, I'm the new England Patriots quarterback uh, this year, but representing me on the, field all year will be brett Favre. you know what i mean it's like it's like this is your being is your songs you're supposed to be the name says aerosmith that's what's on the tin you're supposed to write your own songs i just i really and it, it reminds me of uh, i was listening to uh to a roger daltrey uh interview the other day and it's just like stop talking roger i don't want to hear about how you're channeling pete's songs and you're interpreting them and you're just an actor and all this like i i write your own songs like that's like i want to hear your voice singing your song so that's right. it just seems like just like completely illogical to do this and aerosmith does it worse and and you're and you're right mike there's there's tons and tons of ballad on here i've got a quote from joe perry if uh if you don't mind let me let me read this because he says uh about the ballads this was quite refreshing he goes um uh where where do we have this here so um the songwriters okay so that's about uh well, here, here, I'll, I'll start at the top here. So uh, I asked him about the outside songwriters, I guess. First, he goes, this, so this is an interview I had with them. I was telling Heather when we were doing this, I go, I interviewed two guys for this album. And, and the funny thing about the stretch timelines is I look in my 2012 and I go, there's no Aerosmith interviews here. What's going on? So I realized 
my chat with Joe Perry was in 2014 and we're talking about the album. And I talked to Tom Hamilton in 2015 and we're still talking about the same album, right? But Joe well, they says- They don't have anything else out, so. Yeah. But Joe <laughs> says probably a perfect example of that is the last record. We went into that record with Jack Douglas, basically trying to, you know, set the same kind of vibe that we did for, say, Toys in the Attic. We'll talk about that when we talk about the Jack song. But, and then he goes, you get everybody throwing in an idea or two if it makes the cut, it goes on the record. And I kind of had this feeling, I didn't know where we were going to cut the record. I didn't know the way the music business is. You know, there's, you know, if we're going to have an album in two or three years, what that's going to be like. So he's like anticipating what the radio world thinks about. And where does he say about the ballads? He, yeah, he goes, and you'll see kind of what's going on when I go and he laughs. He goes, look at the name, Steven, especially the songs that I wrote myself. You know, I wrote a couple of songs in there that were only put on a special added track for Britain or whatever. There's a song called Oasis in the Night, which is a ballad. He goes, I can't believe that I'm actually writing ballads now. Or a song called mm-hmm. Something with Steven playing the drums. And there's that kind of stuff that comes from me. And that song Brad wrote Street Cheeses. Uh, <laughs> If that doesn't show the heart and soul of Aerosmith, I don't know what does. So he's talking about a heavy song. But he goes Jesus on about the ballad. Jesus is what he's staking the heart and soul of Aerosmith yeah. on is Street Jesus. <laughs> he, he goes, Stephen is a perfectionist. He wants to fill in every hole, every spot, everything. I sit there next to him and tried to steer it back towards the roots. Uh, that's the thing with a partnership. Unfortunately, it's kind of like I said in the book, there's a few elements, basic elements that are missing from that partnership. In order to have a partnership, you got to have some trust. Um, okay, I can't find yeah, this, but so he, he does he does say about the, you know, there's four ballads on here, and he says, I don't want to do the ballads. He says, I don't think we're gonna play them live. I don't know why we're doing this. Um, so <laughs> it, he is being refreshing about uh this ballad thing, but yeah, the well, you know what a bit would have been refreshing would have been just maybe leaving them off if you don't yeah. ever want to play them and you don't, you know. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it was interesting, like um you know, when when you were talking about the history of Aerosmith and your history with Aerosmith, I was sort of reflecting on, um, you know, the class the classic rock bands that I did end up gravitating towards uh, when I was younger, as opposed to Aerosmith, because I did get into Zeppelin and Jimi Hendrix and uh, the Doors and uh, Rush and all kinds of other other bands of that ilk. But I think Aerosmith, I was turned off from because they weren't a band that I discovered. They were a band that I have vivid memories of as a young child watching the music videos for like crazy and crying mm-hmm. and all those Alicia Silverstone power ballads, which are, I'm sorry. I mean, Alicia terrible, Silverstone. Terrible songs, great music videos. Yeah, right. <laughs> Say, come on, Mike Dunn. Don't tell me that you weren't watching the music video very carefully. <laughs> and then, as I, and then, as I came into adolescence, it was pink. You know the song, and uh, and falling in love is so hard on the knees. And I, I you know, I basically yeah. came of age during the 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 true low point of Aerosmith's career. So it wasn't when I did finally, you know, I got a bunch of records from my uncle. That's how that's how I got into a bunch of those bands I just mentioned. But when I put on Toys in the Attic, I feel like it was just it was tainted with the the power ballad era Aerosmith memories, maybe. And I, I don't know. And then also, I just feel like I, I feel like compared to some of them, Aerosmith comes off as too much of a bar band for me. They're just like a really tight well, bar band. Well, they were the first bar band and all right, other they, bar I, bands are in there. <laughs> I, you definitely, I guess that is true. They are the 
biggest selling hard rock band of all time. And, you know, Martin, you were mentioning this, but I, I didn't realize that, that over 150 million records worldwide overall. So and, you know, and I think the other thing that, you know, I, I imagine most people know, but that is important to kind of note about the Aerosmith history is Joe Perry and Steven Tyler's relationship, which you were just kind of alluding to, Martin. But, you know, the the fact that they basically openly hated hated each other for like the majority of their career. Right. Yeah. And- it's one of these classic like the two writers, Paige Plant and Jagger Richards. And, and you know, they, they are they both have they're both prolific, at least when they're not, you know, on heroin and other drugs um, <laughs> and, and or or like, you know, giving the songwriting to other people. And then Brad Whitford's in there. He's a little bit of the, um, you know, the John Paul Jones of the band. Um, But, you know, these other guys, I I will contribute as well. Tom Hamilton's contributed some great stuff, but, uh, but yeah, so they're both trying to get their way. Um, And I guess they're, they're more or less seeing eye to eye in the early days. Um, You know, that, that sound that they had, I mean, it, it it was, it's sort of how the, the Aerosmith people go from the British blues boom and and add all this stuff. I did an episode of my podcast history in five songs on this, uh, this idea that um, American heavy metal, you could take like a little electric, Electronic gizmo AB switch and go uh, blues boom new heavy metal riffs blues boom new heavy yep. metal riffs and you can hear that in Ted Nugent and Kiss and you can definitely hear it in Aerosmith so Aerosmith is like the the new and improved version of the Rolling Stones and and it, it's uh, there's this other concept I might do an episode on this as well but it's this idea of how to make uh, the blues interesting uh, and so Aerosmith kind of did that by adding these heavy metal riffs and and being a, a lot flashier and just being a lot more diverse in their songwriting than even a Led Zeppelin or certainly a mountain or a cactus. Um, you know, these post-British blues boom bands, bad company. Um, so, so, I mean, those are classic records. Like the variety on Toys in the Attic is, is quite astounding. Um, and, and Rocks is, is a little more tighter and more rock and roll, draw the line. But yeah, they were, they were a massive band at that time. But, but then, yeah, all this pollution comes in. The, 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 um, the inundation from the label and John Kalodner and the industry and what's going on in hair metal to do this stuff. You know, and another narrative we haven't mentioned, Aerosmith are one of these bands where there's this... Um, there seems to be every once in a while you hear these quiet, uh, you know, uh, rumblings out of them that somehow all this money that they were supposedly supposed to have made, they mm-hmm. did not make. Like they're, they, you know, they, they sometimes, you know, very c- kind of cryptically plead poverty. Sometimes it's almost like, um, you know, pull pull away the curtain and and you get all the seedy, crappy things that can happen to a rock and roll band on the financial end of things might be happening to Aerosmith, maybe not as bad as other bands. I mean, you can't not be super, super wealthy being, uh, as you say, Heather, like maybe possibly the biggest selling hard rock band of all time, right? Um, but it just seems like uh, even I, I've even seen things re- uh, recently where there's there's like this this little bit of desperation in some of the things they're doing. And you definitely hear desperation on on this record and on all these late later records. There is this motivation to be hugely commercially successful that does not come from a good place. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, they, but they were you know, they were spoiled by decades of success, too, because yeah. like you like you said, it's it was rare for a band that thrived that much in the 70s to be able to successfully make it in the 80s and 90s. You know, we've talked we've talked about this a lot. We've talked about a lot of other bands 80s and 90s failings. Um Kisses, 
pro or Kiss's like concept album about the boy. And um, who do we who whose eighties album do we do? Well, we did David. We talked about David Bowie's eighties oh, material. Classic, classic episode. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and um, Mad- I mean, Madonna. Well, Madonna's Madonna like weird. In, like... Madonna actually thrived in the in. Well, she started in the eighties. Thrived in yeah. the nineties. Fell apart. Started blowing it. Started blowing it in the two thousands. Um, yeah. But yeah, like three decades of sustained success uh, is pretty rare. I feel like. So right. it's it's surprising to me then that um, that wasn't enough for Aerosmith to remain financially solvent. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and the funny thing with Aerosmith is, uh, you know, Get a Grip was such a massive album with Living on the Prayer and Crazy and Crying and all that kind of stuff, right? So, so it's like they only put out two records in the 90s, um, but one of them was, I believe, yeah, seven times or nine times platinum. I, I should... Uh, Hang on, let me look that up. But but then Nine Lives came out, and uh, and Nine Lives went um, two times platinum even. So that that one got is just completely bad reviews. Although it was a little bit kind of a, a little bit more rough and roll, uh, the the same way that um, Pump was a little more rough and roll over Permanent Vacation. It's like Nine Lives was a little rougher than Get a Grip. So I mean, it's it it is a little better than it got reviewed. And but yeah, to even see that one go double platinum is, is pretty crazy. So it's almost like it, their 90s and their 2000s are almost a slingshot effect from Pump and Get a Grip being massive it's almost like they're still living on the the crazy huge success of the 89 album and the i think it's 93 album well the success really does dry up on this album because i think this was the first one where it like hit number five and then quickly disappeared it was like it did not like sixty five thousand copies or something it didn't uh go platinum like all of their others so this is but this was post you know all rock and roll art being devalued you know like the right. <laughs> the street as soon i feel like people like to blame napster but it was really the streaming services that were the final nail in the coffin of being able to be paid good money for selling albums yeah 2012 you're definitely into the death of physical product at this point and and i noticed i mean it, it says i mean it, di- it didn't even go gold no, it was in no, and that I think that's the only album uh, it, that, that isn't. Uh, that's possibly the only album that didn't go at least gold. Yeah, I think yeah. it is. Yeah. Um. So, what do you guys say? Do you think we should get on into it? There's uh, it's, it's sixty-six minutes long, so <laughs> it's no time like the present. Yeah. Um, let me get my notes up here. Let's do it. Yeah, I sh- I sure got notes. Um. Okay. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna share my screen, and we'll play from Spotify. Um. All right. So the first song here. This was a co-writing credit uh, with Perry and uh, Tyler. I think they are the sole writers on this one, so they get all the credit and all the responsibility <laughs> because this song is fucking ridiculous. Um. It's called L U V X X X. All uh uppercase. Very edgy styling there. Almost looks like it's like an MDNA like Madonna track. Um, yeah. But uh, here we go. Here's a little clip from that.
everybody know who you am. That's wow. it. Let everybody know who you am. That's where we're at, guys. That's 2012 Aerosmith. That's the first song, first first track on the album. Everybody know who you am. That's where we're at. If I don't want to love somebody who can't properly conjugate to be once, let alone three times a day. <laughs> also, who are you fooling? You, they are made out of dust. Right. We're they not all had rubbing three times a day. They've all had like recent surgeries for their joints. <laughs> I, I would be concerned if I was their doctor and 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 I was Steven Tyler told me that he was loving three times a day. Well, yeah, so so right off the back, they're they're <laughs> bragging and making you feel bad. So that's the first uh-huh. thing. Right? <laughs> I got a few things to say about this one. So so yeah, instantly you hear this production that I've always called car sick production. It makes me car sick, right? <laughs> Uh, and, and there's only two bands that do this. This is very different from Def Leppard production, which I have other complaints about. There's only two bands that do car sick production, and that's Aerosmith and Bon Jovi. Mm. And what what it what happens is that you're hearing this melody go, but you don't know what instruments are making it. It just it's just this idea of a melody built of. I mean, are there guitars? It doesn't even sound like regular guitars. Is there some sort of strange synthetic keyboard pad that's making this melody? You don't know what's doing it. And the other reason you don't know what, why what's do you know what's doing it is because the drums are so huge and they even sound synthetic. You never hear anything that sounds like you know anymore very often proper hi-hat on any of these drums you just hear this is just like one of these big tribal right um so so all these things are built up you also hear um aerosmith has this bad habit of modulation you know changing the melody in the middle of things and it, and it just it's just this kind of big stadium effect that's supposed to feel epic, but it it sounds basically like Nickelback or something. Mm-hmm. And then the last yep. thing I want to say, uh, one more thing, is that they do this uh, annoying thing, and they started doing this probably on on Get a Grip more so. And and the hair metal bands did this too to try to look smart. And this this idea of let's take the psychedelic part of the Beatles and let's do these these psychedelic vocal melodies and things that make you make these guys sound like uh, like they like yoga and they're zen and all this. Yep, yep. (laughs) Norwegian wood idea, right? So so hair bands did it as well. A lot of them got into this, but Aerosmith does it a lot, and it always sounds annoying. So you get this hello hello over this thing. So all of a sudden you're getting that yeah moment on, on this thing that's supposed to be the biggest song, right? So all of a sudden the vocal melody is just making you sad as he's talking about love. <laughs> I love that you are coming out swinging right now, Martin. Will you, you'll interview these guys again, right? Will they, will they agree? <laughs> yeah. I hope we don't. <laughs> that's the weird part. They're very candid. Joe and Brad. And Tom will all be very candid about this and, and they'll know, yeah, yeah, I guess you're right, you know, because they, they don't have a lot of self-confidence about what they're doing. Oh, and that's a shame for a band that's like the biggest selling hard rock band of all time. Like they should be able to feel confident and be able to rest on what they're good at. And this, they're just, it's way too much. I mean, it's completely, and I'm so glad you mentioned that like Beatles, that kind of the strawberry fields, relax and go downstream. They do that a lot on this album. And I'm glad that you like noted it on this particular song. They wanted it. I guess Steven Tyler describes it specifically as Beatlesque. They were trying to do a Beatles thing. Why, why is 
Aerosmith in 2012 trying to do a Beatles thing. Like, what are, what, what are we doing? Who needs that? Who wants that? I get, apparently um, uh, Julian Lennon is doing backing vocals on it, but you, you can't hear it because of that mix that you mentioned. Just that like, you know. No, but he got his credit though. Everyone got their credit. It, that's right. Yeah. Um, and this, the vocal sound, I was just going to say, like it legitimately, it, it doesn't just like, it's not just like phoned in metaphorically or, you know, but it's, it literally sounds like Steven Tyler found the last living payphone and delivered his vocals from it quarter by quarter in the American Idol parking lot. Like I <laughs> he probably did. <laughs> he probably did. Yeah. He, uh, he's pretty, he's, you know, he really belts on some of the other tracks in the sound, but he's keeping it quiet on this one. Mm-hmm. He's not using either of his diaphragms. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Wait, does he have two diaphragms like uh, Chad Kroger has two dicks? <laughs> well, I just, I was, you know, it was doing a little entendre there. He's not using protection. Not a... Oh. Uh... Ah, yes. Yes. Uh, I, but yeah, it is, it is very, as you mentioned, very loud, very over overproduced, overblown. So many layers, so many layers that it makes your head spin and you don't know what you're hearing. Um, and if I could pick out another thing that annoys me about Aerosmith and on this song in particular, and a lot of the songs in this album, is that Steven Tyler is from Alston. He's from <laughs> he's from Boston. Yep. And yet he is doing this like tin pan twang, this digging in the bread pan, picking out dough sort of putting you know, in the tain. Yeah. Right. Like uh, you know, put on put on southern inflection that. It's just like, come on, dude. Every everybody knows that you are from Boston. There's no further inverse yeah. from a twang than the way people talk in Austin. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you hear our voices. There's not a lot of not a lot of twang in it. It's more of but like. The, a, but the thing is, I mean, he's basically celebrating his own past from walk this way when he started doing this. He's been doing this all his life. So, I mean, a, I mean, he, he does love the blues and all that. It does come a little bit from that, but it basically he's parodying his own band when he's doing. It. <laughs> yeah, I did. I wrote for a few songs that this. This album borders on self-parody. Like, I almost yeah. wonder if they're in on it sometimes. That they're just, they're just having a laugh about, you know, like, yeah, all right, this is. Let's just let's just get as ridiculously over the top as Aerosmith could possibly get. Yeah, I, I don't think they are. I, I think they just basically um, feel that lack of confidence makes them feel they have to cover all the bases of their past, and so they just kind of do it. And and the label likes it, and they they want all those ballads. So. They want to just do everything. And one more Beatlesque thing just to mention. You yeah. See Me Crying from Toys in the Attic in 1975 is a beautiful Beatlesque ballad. And so so they knew how to be Beatlesque in, in sparing ways all through the past. But this this annoying psychedelic Beatlesque thing never works. I mean, it just never sounds good. I'm sure we could probably find examples in Aerosmith where it is kind of cool. Um, but the other reason, you know, people want to be Beatlesque is that, I mean, these guys were, were absolutely, their lives were changed by the Beatles. They're of that age right. where the Beatles matters to them. But to call this Beatlesque, I mean, I saw that too. He said we were trying to be, there's nothing Beatlesque about this no. song. It's just, it's just that one little thing about an obscure thing very few people know about vocal melodies. <laughs> well, <laughs> there's, are you saying it's not Beatles-esque? For, uh, lyrics like this aren't Beatles-esque. <laughs> hot monkey sex on a hot tin roof. You be higher than a shot of a million proof. It's the same old, same old, same old puddin' in the tain. Yeah, yeah. I don't... You know, when he did his... Auto- my tain? 
he used this he used this language when he did his autobiography it's like oh. an old uh, william faulkner book you know it was so hard to read <laughs> because he literally spoke this whole book in this same language you, you couldn't you couldn't read it it was too distracting wow That's so it's stupid. like his own little finnegan's wake <laughs> yeah um how about um here's one i wrote down when you be getting out of jail we're going to all have fun where's your game face baby don't you look so sad i'm the best damn lover that you ever ever had love three times a day i'm a cha-ching lover i'm the cat's meow i ain't never going to stop and i never know how wow yeah wow and, and of course this is also him just searching for the next aerosmith catchphrase that will be used all the time right so I, also I, doing that let's throw 50 of them out there and hope one or two of them sticks i think it's going to be hot monkey sex on a hot tin roof that's that's the one that's gonna roll off the tongue um or kissing high heel lovers with the serious swirls what or in actuality, nothing at all. <laughs> or nothing at all. Yeah, zero right. of these things. Yeah, zero of them. Yeah, I don't know that there's anything Aerosmith could have done in 2012 to make a new catchphrase that everyone would say. You know? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it's yeah. Joe Biden, right, with his uh, with his corn pops, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. There is definitely oh some God. Joe Biden energy on this album. This does. Oh. There. There are some lyrics that. Read like a Joe Biden anecdote. Joe Perry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's in a lot of ways. It it reminds me of Joe Biden in many, many, many ways (laughs) that I won't get into uh, because it's too early to get that angry. So um, let's, (laughs) should we move on to the next one here? Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's go right ahead. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, baby. This is great. So this next song is called Oh, Yeah. Got oh. the jumping jack flash backup vocals are here. Yep, yep. Sung by the California Raisins. Yep, <laughs> we're doing great. This is we're we're definitely at the hyannis beachcomber right now. <laughs> <laughs> this is yeah, this is definitely bad dad bar band right now. This yeah. is what that is. Yeah. We're rhyming back with back. I think it's um to me it's just a it's a mommakin rehash. Sort of it's it's trying to capture that feel i think the backing vocals kind of work for me um that not much else works for me the guitar solo in particular i i remarked on as being particularly tepid i'd say about this one you know to me this is one of the better ones on it i mean i like that mama kin uh you know uh concept um i i do find that uh it's it's an okay song it's a it's a well put together riff um but I don't, I don't like the backup vocals. I don't want to hear people who aren't in the band on your record. And it's, yeah. it's really obvious when it's female background vocals. I don't like, again, um, here we have some, some weird combination of basically tambourine instead of hi-hat for your hi-hat. Um, 
now this this brings up a thing that it's a little bit like the car sick production but it's it's the idea that joe perry and he's told me this on a on a couple occasions i'm sure that he's always searching this is a good thing about him but it never works out he's always searching for new and different and fresh guitar sounds he's restless about guitar sound so here you get this one of his um out of his toolbox not a lot of people do this and not a lot of people do this because it doesn't sound very good but it's he's he's got this sort of twangy wiry not very distorted almost like single single plus string guitar sound to what is an actual heavy metal guitar riff so you get a pretty decent riff but i but i just want to hear like like a like a distortion pedal doing this song but this is not a terrible song on this record it's it's it is overproduced but it's not 220 percent overproduced it's more like 110 uh, percent of, of what you should be doing on it so not a terrible song but uh but of course you know they they put an exclamation point on the title which doesn't need one and then they leave one off of this one which does need yeah one. i, I yeah yeah it, was, it should be oh yeah but it's more like oh yeah i wrote oh fine <laughs> that was, okay yeah i mean that's that's basically i think you nailed it martin like it's not terrible but it's you know it, it's a mid tempo cheesecake factory bullshit and that's not what you want from a you know a hard rock band you you get you get this just all encompassing kind of of blandness uh the, the doo-wop choruses do nothing for me <laughs> as well <laughs> I, I guess maybe i'm just a sucker for uh for a good back and back and vocal but um yeah it is interesting the guitar sound is very interesting i like that you brought that up because I, I feel like almost he's trying to recapture like a uh you know early blues recording like tile room sort of sort of thing you know artificially it, it it isn't what you would expect from the usual, you know, Les Paul into a Marshall hard rock Aerosmith uh, timbre. Um, <laughs> and I used the correct pronunciation and everything. You, you did. Um, yeah, I think this song is fine. Should we move on? Sure. Yeah. All right, let's go right in. Okay, this one. This oh, one. Woo! this one. <laughs> this one is special. Um, okay, so this next song here uh, is called Beautiful. Um, and it is something. If I recall, this song has many songs inside of it. So I'm mm -hmm. going to try to. Yeah. So it, it's three minutes long. It's one of the blissfully short ones, but uh, it still is uh, too many songs. So uh, let's let's try to parse it out, shall we? So I go hear what she was saying is I got closer to her fire. Her desire was to leave me on and on and on and <laughs> okay so we've got here's the comparisons i made i just yeah I, I got i'll just there. read my notes verbatim whoa what is this <laughs> is this green jello whoa with a hollywood undead hook blood blood brothers vibes turning into early beastie boys into breaking chester benjington i'm gagged Nice. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you my my notes. Uh, 
which they echo yours in in some ways. Uh, my first note is okay, so I guess it's Aerosmith by way of a performance art Red Hot Chili Peppers, <laughs> <laughs> and then a lighting clutcher of clutching arena chorus like it's Toto or something, and then back to give it away now. What the fuck is happening? Is Steven Tyler rapping? <laughs> he is. Well, he's he's yeah. rapping over a Jesus Lizard song. <laughs> Remember though, he 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 kind of invented this in in terms of like literally right. uh, literally, forget about uh, a, a white guy rapping on hard rock. A lot of people even talk about "Walk This Way" as Walk being a pretty pretty uh, you know instrumental on rap. Period. Uh, yes. When that came out in seventy five. So he's been doing this all his life. He he's always done this uh, this spoken thing. To me, this one. Um, really, this is this is a really throw everything at the you know pl plus the kitchen sink at it. Way too overproduced, way too much going on. And again, that annoying modulation to the chorus. It's a very detached chorus. It doesn't feel like it it relates to the rest of it. It's not even the same speed. And again, you've got these backing vocals. You don't know if that's uh, the song doctors plus the plus the female vocals plus whoever's producing it at the time. I notice on this one, it's got the. Um, the, the credit goes to uh, Marty Fredrickson is in there. So you've got the song doctor going on in here. Mm. Um, definitely um, another, you know, slightly arcane, obscure guitar sound thrown in. It's like, it's like the distorted version of the last one, but it still sounds like it's played on single notes, almost like our single strings. Right. Uh, very, very strange guitar sound. Um, and just, and just this overall feeling of just trying too hard. I mean, they're just, trying trying to uh, emote ham it up just just be absolute even even the drummer even joey if it's even him drumming is is trying too hard to swing or whatever on it right um so yeah it's it's just it's just way too much of everything just like an aerosmith album it's it's like a metaphor for a big aerosmith album as a whole it's just way too well, much yeah too much a microcosm yeah too much and not enough simultaneously, right? It's like all, all the bells and whistles, all the distractions, all the flourishes, all the little added, you know, tip, you know, tricks and and sleights of hand to kind of distract from the fact that they're not saying anything and they're really not doing anything like not only like not inventing new things, but like not even really doing their own things very well. Like this song, it's just, it sounds like the guitar version, like guitar hero version of Aerosmith. Like if Aerosmith was an AI, like, you know, and this was just, uh, you know, entirely composed and played by like avatar renderings of, of them. It yeah. just, yeah, it feels very, very fake, very detached, like you said. Now, I don't think this sounds like something I would expect from Aerosmith at all. I kind of admire the audacity to go in so many strange directions in one song where like literally that, that riff is like, I, I, it's the, in the verses that dissonant riff, it's like slint. It's like Jesus lizard. It's, it's like, it's like shades of Fugazi. It's it, yeah. that's was, interesting that you like yeah. took it there. I, I didn't, I didn't read that, but that makes sense. But then it's like full, you know, pop new metal, yeah. and the chorus it's 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 and it's got it's got like even imagine dragons bass drop yes i wrote that down too i was like wait a second there are dragons all over everything there's no slaying them the the echoey woes and the yeah and the drops that's and 
And yeah. then you think they can't, they've thrown everything at this song and, the, and then all the music drops out and someone whispers, beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I liked it actually. I just, I mean, I, I didn't like, it's not something, it's not a song, I guess I shouldn't say I liked it. I appreciated it. It was so bonkers. It there, was bonkers. There's at least one uh, song on this album that I was like, this is, I, I hate it and I love it so much for being so audacious. And I do, I, I recognize that that sentiment a few times on this on this album for sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's really stupid. But yeah, I can see why you would find it fun. Um, yeah. It's it's more exciting than than oh yeah that's for sure. Also, this is when you start to get and and definitely going into the next song is when you start to get like ask questions about the arrangement of songs on this album. Like it is a really weird like starting off with love xxx into oh yeah into beautiful. It's a little weird. There's the the you know the arrangement of stuff. Yeah, I don't think any of those were released as were released as singles right and usually you would put at least you'd put one of the singles in the first three songs usually right yeah i think the big single or like big being small and we'll talk about how small but uh was legendary child i think from this album so yeah it yeah weird it's it's weird love x or love xxx i mean that that seems like an aerosmith opener just because of the uh the, the hugeness and the size of it and the big tribal drums, I suppose. I mean, you are getting three pretty heavy ones in a row to start out. So that seems pretty sensible to me, sequencing wise. I mean, you know, they they net, they don't put those those big ballads ever, uh, you know. Well, we're about to go right into a super sappy, twangy, acoustic, like almost country-esque ballad, which there are t- too many of on this album. Yeah. Like right into that, that's what the next song is, so. Uh, maybe we should just jump into it. What do you What do you think? Okay. great on this one i'll say this is better for his voice this is better aerosmith vocals out of the other ones that we listen to yeah that's that virility i was talking about at the beginning i was really i was surprised at how much steven tyler has still got it yeah right i know me too you would think that his voice would be completely and totally blown out but he actually there are some songs where he's hitting like crazy high notes, which are very suspicious to me. But yeah, this one, it's definitely I also like the minor core, like the minor key and the chorus and the kind of it's a little bit sinister. I don't know. It's it's not terrible. I, I, I thought the song was pretty good. Yeah, I'm not hating this one either for a mellow one, you know, and it's pretty interesting that Tom Hamilton wrote it. That's that's quite bizarre. And he gets sole credit on it. But I like the fact that it is acoustic guitar. It's fairly unadorned, except the drums, again, just just dominate everything. But it is acoustic guitar. And and I agree with you, Heather. I think I think the chorus is kind of cool. It does take that dark melodic shift for the chorus. It's not a terrible chorus. Um, and it's not it's not completely, you know, maudlin of melody, even in the verse. And yeah, Steve 
Stephen Stephen singing great on it. Uh, you know, this this is this is the 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 type of ballad that I could almost uh, that I could almost tolerate from. Yeah, yeah, because it, it's a little bit more complex and it's not just super saccharine. Um, but yeah, I mean, the lyrics are still saying nothing. It's like whatever, but the song itself is not terrible. What do you think, it was, Mike? It was okay. Um, for this one, it was interesting that, um, Martin, you brought up that, or maybe it was you, Heather, that um, Lenny Kravitz was in talks to replace Steven Tyler because this song does sound like a Lenny Kravitz song. Yeah, I could see that. Really? This- well, actually, with the, with the, with the eight, like the kind of weird harmonic or like, tones though really with that like kind of dark tone in the chorus i don't know if i don't know if that's a lenny kravitz vibe um i mean yeah lenny kravitz does harmonies i i i got in i got into kravitz for a little bit in uh in middle school so i I guess lenny kravitz really is just i mean lenny kravitz sounds like aerosmith and aerosmith sounds like lenny kravitz it's a feedback loop he did i mean you listen to are you gonna go my way i mean where did that come from right right i literally forgot that wasn't an aerosmith song. <laughs> <laughs> it does sound like it, it, it could be like the third single on like a, a post fly away lenny kravitz album yeah which isn't great <laughs> yeah but i mean but there's also bad. worse comparisons you could draw to you know he's got For a sure. kravitz has a good voice he's got a he's he's very hot he's uh a, you know well, his, yeah. his 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 wiener fell through the hole in his pants that one time. And, uh... <laughs> Thank you for that. Thank you for bringing us back to that crystallized moment in rock history. <laughs> Lenny Kravitz's wiener fell right out of his pants, just right there in front of everybody. Um, it was an it's an impressive one too. Um, well, and so like they, it, it makes sense why they go for the ballads, right? Because I don't want to miss a thing. That was their biggest hit of all time. That was their only like, was that their only like official number one single or something? Not sure, but they but, they've done great with ballads all all along, right? I mean, with with Dream On, and then Janie's Got a Gun, and then yeah, that one, Crazy Crying. Yeah, they they've always done done well. I think I don't want to miss a thing. Is their biggest selling song of all time? It is. Um, One thing I I don't want to forget to mention, I don't know if it specifically applies to this song, but I noticed that um, that a lot of these these horrible choruses come in. Well, this one's not a horrible chorus, but a lot of these choruses come in after one verse or even one short verse. It's almost like the verses is like, uh, you know, toss it aside. Let's get to the chorus on some. of Yeah. Yeah. So, so that that is that is a little odd. You you don't hear you don't hear a lot of the too long verses thing before you get to a chorus on this album. I don't think it's true. They're short. The verses are short and plentiful. Like most of them are four bars, and then there's usually four verses per song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that is uh, strange. Well, let's talk about uh, weird verses and lyrics here with this next song. This is this is fucking ridiculous. Um, <laughs> these are some of the most ridiculous lyrics I've ever read this is the first one i was texting mike dunn last night being like (laughs) look at these lyrics okay so this one this next song this is called outgo the lights and uh it's it's an experience Yeah, but you're not getting it right. But it's cool. 
reread those those lyrics that uh, they're about to sing again right there. If you want to take a looky cookie tonight, tonight be your lucky nighty night night. How they go deja booty. You're a yaya baby tonight. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? I feel like this is a looted out aunt doing bluesy oaky at a biker bar (laughs) for seven minutes. For seven minutes. For seven minutes. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. That's long for a song like that, right? (laughs) I mean, he just likes making sounds, right? And and again, he's just celebrating his own past somewhat and celebrating his love for the blues, I guess, at the same time. But yeah, it's 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 crazy. But I mean, he's he is he is kind of the uh, the rap and white guy. He's the guy that kind of invented this, right? Okay, first of all, there's been so much uh, of our show that has just been dedicated to terrible white people rapping that I can now, that, that y- you give him credit, but also the blame. And this is, <laughs> you a yaya baby tonight? That's not, that we don't know. That's musical antimatter. That is, yeah. I'm, be- I'm being sucked into a black hole of taste with that. It's, it's Return of Bruno Rock. It's fucking terrible. I do not consent to Steven Tyler's Nookie Cookie. I do not want it one bit. It's like I wrote, it's like a fucked up Dr. Seuss book. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. It's seven minutes long. Sorry. Yeah. And and at the music end again, you've got, okay, what are we going to use instead of hi-hat again? We're going to make the cowbell happen. cowbell it's it, it is total stripper rock i mean in, in terms of the beat um you've got uh, the female backing vocals are back again you've got one of those uh sweet and sour funk r&b kind of uh melodies and obscure melody on the chorus so it's kind of got that yeah to the yeah. to the chorus where where he you know they're trying to sound sophisticated and again you could call it the beatles psychedelic thing but it's more of a it's more of a searching for odd melodies just to be different but in not really working yeah yeah Yeah, because you know they'll throw you they'll they'll throw you for a loop a little bit with when they go and when they do that particular chord change into the chorus with the like thx sound and the and the 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 ladies backing vocals but it is still mostly just pentatonic but do for so much of the song that it doesn't feel that special when you get when you get the little you know odd chord change and that comes from the song last child right last child's kind of the song that is this is a, a redux of of last child off of rocks 1976 a little bit that uh, they 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 kind of are are pretty big on that inventing you know they're they're one of the bands who did it best or or most often this this uh this slow funky heavy metal thing i mean it comes a little bit from led zeppelin but not really um Aerosmith are kind of the ones who did a lot of that. So yeah, this is basically Last Child all over again. Yeah. Yeah, but with lyrics like living on coochie and romance, <laughs> waiting on <laughs> Cupid to call. But it's cool. Coochie. Too cool for cats. A little bit of this and a little bit of that. That's... Um, this is one of the ones I said seemed a little bit close to self-parody. Yes. Um, but I gotta, I am also, I'm gonna give him credit because I really, on this album, I was expecting that Rolling Stone's dirty work, hangover energy. I expected this whole album to sound a lot more tired. And yeah. they sound extremely energized on this track. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. I yeah, I guess you can give them that. They have to be energized for a fucking seven plus minute long song. Yeah. Just God. But it's that running on fumes energy. And that that goes back to everything everybody said about the Draw the Line album, 1977, after Rocks. Rocks is real energy and draw the line, they're 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 running on fumes. And here they're running on fumes. It's a little bit they're of running that. on fumes. Trying- yeah, junk food, right? You know, junk food and Red Bull, basically. Of yeah. desperation, as you mentioned earlier, Martin. That that energy is more of a desperate, frantic energy than like a a rock and roll energy of like confidence and swagger. Yeah, but this is yeah. the song. This, is, where this is definitely you know, in terms of there's, I feel like there's probably two different flavors of of you know extreme late era rock albums from legendary bands. It can either be like you know we're just doing this to fulfill this dude this uh, obligation to the label and collect a check and then there's like we need this to survive so we're going to pull out all the stops yeah i think there's those are the two approaches you can take and this is definitely the second approach yeah right and it's also just like it's so transparently like let's try to make this like an edgy cool song and show how cool we are talk about deja booty and cool for cats and looky cookie and coochie addictions i just you don't just don't none of (laughs) no one's saying coochie just just stop just and stop talking about like roses are red my lips on you (laughs) oh man it's very silly i gotta say though i mean like should aerosmith have made an album in 2012 probably not uh is this the best album aerosmith could have made in 2012 I no. would I would say maybe. No. This this as you mentioned the best version of this would have been half of it maybe. Right, right, yeah. Maybe. Well, yeah. the the big thing again, the big story always out of these guys is this crying wolf thing. Everybody knows what Aerosmith should do and they and they think they can do it, but you mentioned it earlier, Mike. I mean, number 1, I don't know eight or nine songs, but certainly maybe make it make an 11 song album and, you know, as they always say, long before they're going to make an album in an interview, they say, we just got to get in a room and sit down and hammer it out. And that never happens. And that's what all my quotes from these guys always say. It just gets more bloated and bloated and bloated all the time, more second guessing. But no, I mean, I I, I think that they probably could get down and, and do an album like Rocks again. And everybody would want that. I mean, that Van Halen album, that, that last one they did, a different kind of truth. I think that's the name. It's always hard to hard to remember. But that that is the uh, that is the gold standard of just just putting out a raw rocking heavy album. Uh, other bands kind of get close. You know, Kiss is not doing too bad recently with those last two from the Tommy Thayer era. But I mean. This is what everybody wants out of Aerosmith because there is so much hope in, in Aerosmith. So could they have done it? It's it's almost possible. They almost think they could have because they have been great songwriters in the past. But I don't know if you want it too short in this day and age. It'll look too much like an EP. But yeah, if they would have just, you know, they brought Jack Douglas back, but only used him a little bit. You know, it's still Marty Fredrickson and Steven and Joe and Jack Douglas producing. There's there's only the one song. I think it was just this last song that sounds like Jack 
Douglas producing at least a little bit in the guitar sound, but basically an album just with Jack and don't steamroll over what Jack says, listen to what Jack says, um, because Steven Tyler is probably the biggest guilty party in all of this. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, they, they could have, they, they, they actually, I think they, they could do it. Um, they just, they just never will. They keep crying wolf and not. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, like, like you're saying, like in order to sit down and edit and, you know, have a frank conversation about what deserves to be on the album and what doesn't, it would help if, you know, you don't all hate each other. Yeah. I, I think that's a conversation you can't really have if you're going into it already at each other's throats. And that's yeah. how you end up with an album with no editing, with 15 tracks, with every production trick in the book. Well, and and a, seven, a seven minute song called <laughs> out, out Go the Lights that has and nonstop cowbell for seven minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also it's crying wolf uh, in the way I love that term that you're using. It's also it's it's relevant in the sense that they're always crying wolf about like retiring or about it being the end, like this big, you know, final summative statement. And I think that's another thing that they get trapped in on this album is like they're trying to kind of do something retrospective, but they're also trying to do something that be, could be commercially viable. They're trying to be too much to too many people and it ends up just being a fucking muddled mess with some very very doofy ridiculous nonsense lyrics and uh weird experimentations um that yeah that are occasionally uh hilarious and entertaining and often pretty pretty awful <laughs> mm. um should but, we start doing two tracks at a time i was gonna say well we should um we should definitely i feel like legendary child might need its own moment and then i think after that we should uh go two at a time yeah um because okay legendary child this is a, the next song and this one was i think the single it didn't perform well nothing on this album performed well um but did you guys see that they did a remake of the song for the patriots mm. no okay. Okay, so that's why, so like, this is like the Dropkick Murphys had Tessie. This is Aerosmith's Tessie, but what's so funny. So they did, we're gonna listen to the song and then we're gonna have to, we're gonna listen to the rewritten version that is literally an anthem for the New England Patriots. And it's they're like... talking about Tom Brady is the legendary child. And <laughs> what's so funny about it is that this was put out on the Aerosmith, like YouTube page and there's like a thousand views on it like nobody <laughs> more people listen to our podcast uh than listen to this fucking Aerosmith more people listened to uh come on Marlins <laughs> remember that oh, Scott yeah. Stapp's Marlins song oh my god yeah. <laughs> I don't know about that <laughs> um so okay so let's go ahead we're gonna listen to the uh original and then we'll listen to the uh Patriots remake because it's really fucking fun I tell you what I'm talking about. Making love at 17, yeah, we had the luck. But we traded in toys of the joys, and we didn't give up. I took a change with the high school days, never knowing wrong for right. And that seems so 40 years ago, being televised tonight. 
right. I want to just play. <laughs> we didn't give a. <laughs> Nothing more rock and roll than saying we don't give a. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> um, yeah, I just want to show you the legendary child uh, remix of this. <laughs> it's just. Live the dream, steal the scene, and add a little luck. It's what they say we came to play and never give up. Must control another score, that's how we get it done. Raise your fist and shout it out, that's our number one. Because tonight we're gonna win that game and be right in your face. <laughs> Tonight we're gonna win and be in your face. <laughs> yeah, it's, we're it's gonna a, be in the place. It sounds like he's never watched football. It sounds I like know. he doesn't know what a football is. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna score. <laughs> and, you know, Mike, with all those tracks, it, it's it's gonna sound terrible in the stadium, anyways, right? You can't play something with a hundred tracks in the stadium, right? Right. Yeah, it's just gonna be soup. Yeah. <laughs> Your soup. Yeah. Speaking oh of soup, this is uh this is uh actually a, a almost like a redo of the wanton song riff from uh from Led Zeppelin Physical Graffiti 1975. Oh um, yes. But of course they quickly abandon it so that so it's first it's muted down for the first little verse, and then and then it's like all these drums start going all over the place for the next verse. Like they just throw in more stuff so you even hear the riff even less. So, um, so there, and, and then another funny thing about this one is that Taj Mahal thing with the little Indian music, right? It's that they, they already did this with a song called Taste of India off of uh, Nine Lives, the, the cultural approach, uh, appropriation of the Indian music thing, right? You know, if you, if you do something like that, you got to play little Indian music, right? So there's the little, <laughs> there's the little, do, you know, the, uh, the Taj Mahal thing in there. So, uh, and, and, the last thing I want to say about this one is it, it sounds very much like a redo of uh, Love XXX a little bit. I mean, it, it basically sounds like the same huge car sick. I'm getting this nauseous, uh, you know, disorientation, huge tribal Aerosmith sound, but I, I can't hear any guitars. Yeah. yeah, it's shock and awe. You know, it's trying to overwhelm the senses. So like you have no time to consider how boring it actually is under, <laughs> underneath all the layers of guitars and, and, and vocal harmonies and like, for whatever reason, multi-tracks drums. Like, it's just, it's just, uh, it, it, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's designed to just completely crush and overwhelm you, I feel like. It's yeah. befuddling. And there are some lyrics here, guys, that I just, this was the second one that I copy and pasted to Mike because I was just incredulous. So this is, this is from the song. Here we go. And if Satan had a lady friend, her name was Mary Jane. I never wondered why she tried to drive us quite insane and how we got that golden fleece from token on that pipe of peace. 
<laughs> what? what are you just saying dude it wasn't the devil's lettuce that made you this way my bro it was the untreated yeah. syphilis and the prescription drug abuse uh, oh, <laughs> was it the, was it the devil's lettuce that, that drove you to kidnap Lori maddox or i don't know maybe that was just the weed talking right <laughs> just the devil's lettuce just the wow. satan's friend mary jane <laughs> that is pretty remarkable that is so fucking yeah. stupid that is the stupidest like yeah. drug talk like oh my right, especially God. when you know they've done every drug every under drug. the sun but they're <laughs> like it was the mary jane that made us crazy dude the pipe of peace doesn't turn our young rock star in a lily tomlin like <laughs> oh god fucking christ man it's so cheesy dude i'll tell you what i'm talking about but hey you got that you got that hi-hat you've been missing on this song though lots of they got that nice uh the the two the uh the little dance beep nice great yeah <laughs> the patriots anthem that's really that's so bad. funny i i love that it's been up for five years and still has less than two thousand views and, that is... and it's from their page like it's not like like there's three comments and it's just whoa holy or holly four stars exclamation point and then the same guy saying go pats and then another person saying go pats <laughs> yeah i feel like robert Kraft was like <laughs> <laughs> Look, I will let you put this on your fate on your YouTube, but do not promote this. And then he just ran off to go dance with Cardi B. <laughs> yeah, this shit's it's really fucking bad. It's 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 trash. Um, no Tessie. No Tessie. <laughs> All right, we're gonna go right into the next two. We have uh, what could have been love, followed by Street Jesus. terrible it's, i hate 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 that song sounds like brian adams it's it's if i could then i would i go wherever you will go that's that's the song it's the same song yeah this is this is as bad as they get with these ballads i mean this is again marty Fredrickson being in there as a song doctor and that modulation to the chorus again just uh, yeah this is uh and, and this is one of the the four that that is in on this bloated album of fifteen. I mean, I, I really don't have much more to say about it except that it, it just doesn't does not sound like the Aerosmith that 
you know, I grew up on and, until Angel. Angel starts this whole thing on permanent vacation. And then we've got, you know, literally a dozen or 15 or 20 of these uh, starting then. Yeah. And also it's just a Frankenstein version of like six other songs. Like I, you know, I, I heard the wherever you will go. I heard like raspy Luke Bryan singing like O-Town's All or Nothing. I heard what about love? There's awesome yeah. to care about you. Yeah, yeah, like it's all, yeah. it's all. The Every same. little thing that you do. Exactly. Still in love with you. Yeah, it's it yeah, is, right. Like, it, it is. It's just a, a patchwork of all of all the, the pre-existing bad ballads. That I right. With like lame ass live, laugh, long lost love lyrics. Like it's fucking boring. It sucks. It's definitely, I think, the worst so far. It yeah, does, I think it's the it worst does the least. It does the least and it does it very poorly. Street Jesus. Um, <laughs> this is another seven minute track uh <laughs> lots going on here uh it's got that train robbery chugga 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 thing going there they're intentionally calling back to sweet emotion except instead of sweet emotion it's street jesus mm -hmm. and I... this is a, a song that's like how much a dollar cost by kendrick lamar except jesus the Jesus that is like testing you out in the in public has no feet. What? This Jesus has no feet. They mention it over and over again. <laughs> Wait, I missed that. I missed that entirely. Uh, oh my god. <laughs> uh, have you hey, have you heard the news? Somebody stole my shoes and I can smell the booze. How indiscreet. And though I had a plan after that thief outran into another man who had no feet. I swear to God that day, that guy with no feet say, you got to walk my way. That's how it's planned. That's when I thought good grief to just ain't my belief until I saw the holes inside his hands. I think it's a reference to the footsteps poem about Jesus. <laughs> but either way, it doesn't matter. But it's the reverse. I... He has to carry Jesus because he has no feet. It's not <laughs> Jesus carrying you. It's just stumping along. Um, I call this uh, the devil went down to Boston. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, this is this is basically. I mean, this is the one that uh, that Joe talks about being the soul of Aerosmith that Brad brought in. So this is a Brad Whitford song, apparently, right? Uh, it's the fastest song in the album. Again, it's the heaviest song. It's the one where uh, you you don't feel, at least when the verse is going, you don't feel too overwhelmed by the production. But again, you listen to the drumming; it sounds like a combination of. Tom Tom's doing some stuff, snare and bass drum, and you're not hearing hi-hat. You're just hearing thumpa, thumpa, thumpa all through it. And, and again, it's got that twangy Joe Perry looking for a different guitar sound, although this is probably one of his most signature ones when he's doing something heavy. It sounds like a little bit of something off of uh, his solo album that he would do. Like like he, he has this, uh, he goes back to this whole... Uh, dangerous new york dolls sort of style that he mm. kind of likes at time where he wants to be you know the outlaw punk rock and roller so this is aerosmith being as as punk rock as they could ever get i suppose well punk rock tends to be not seven minutes long so <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm gonna take issue with that characterization just slightly here because jesus fucking christ what a goddamn opus like street jesus christ street jesus christ 
Christ. Um, good God almighty, supposed to be about love. You must have wished upon me by kissing the glove. I'm a high-stepping lover, sharp as a knife. I'm a pink flamingo on a great long life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this is one of the words where like i'm like i get that they're trying to like cosplay relevance but it's so ostentatious and over the top and weird and ridiculous that i almost admire it in a weird way and i do think that sonically like sound wise as you mentioned in the verses with the chugga chuggas and the, you get that kind of like breakneck pace you get that like energy and it, and it kind of it almost kind of works but it's just so ridiculous ridiculous it's so preposterous yeah um it's definitely another one where i you know i don't necessarily love the song but i i admire the audacity the chutzpah the, yeah the douche they really went for it right i don't get it what it's is it a commentary on religion is it a yeah it doesn't matter it's the devil went down to boston and it's <laughs> it almost works although it shouldn't be seven minutes long nothing on this album should be seven minutes long at all. So should we move on to the next two? Sure. All so right. Next one is, wow. Oh God. Oh God. Yeah. I have a good one liner about this one. Next one is can't stop loving you followed by lover a lot <laughs> spelled lover L O V E R. And then a lot without a space in between it, I guess. Also can't stop loving you featuring Carrie Underwood. <gasps> That's right. Oh yeah, this is the fucking bull. Oh god. One day she came to me. Love at first sight head to toes. I love her wild, my mountain child. And that's just how she goes. And here she comes. Hey, I can't stop loving you. Cause it's Yes. Oh, you, you mean uh, you get high you from wet. the taste of her wet? <gasps> you get a thrill from the smell of her hair? This is the Joe Biden anthem. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. You'll be spanking your monkey while she's all up in your shit. That is such a yuck. That is such a yuck moment who says spank your monkey i even know that she loves you a lot why don't you know don't you know that she's hot <laughs> okay <laughs> my fave my fave from this song is is that your girl in a lily white dress how come she's so fucking passive aggress <laughs> <laughs> oh, not to be passive aggress or nothing you know it's all too bad though because this is probably the best music on the album right i mean this is this is more punk rock than street jesus it's got it's got a really cool bass guitar sound in that mm -hmm. in that good snappy verse i mean it's this is this is actually pretty heavy and up-tempo and almost convincing heavy yeah. aerosmith at this point so it, yeah. it is really too bad and it's even got hi-hat on 
right? It's got regular sounding drums. It's it's the the production is kept a little bit in check. It it really is too bad about the the ridiculous lyrics. Yeah, um, it's true. It's a headbanger, and it's the it correct is. length. It's three minutes, and uh, and yeah, the production actually works on it. But I will probably say worst lyrics on the album. <laughs> yeah, spank your monkey, passive aggress, or just rhyming <laughs> the generation. The taste of her wet. The taste of her wet. The taste of her. <laughs> No, no. <laughs> and I no. see Marty Fredrickson is in on the credits in this, and the whole band is, plus uh, Jesse Kramer, Marco Moore. I don't know who these guys are, but Marty Fredrickson, as, as one of these song song doctors, he's a little bit like the Jim Valance, who's also on this thing. Yeah. Um, but they can adapt, you know, and it's it's the most annoying thing when they do it because it's almost like they're, they're, they're robots in a way. They can write the power ballads, but they can write the heavy stuff. They can, they can almost like, I want to give you an Aerosmith song, right? So it's, so it's almost more annoying when they're in on a, on a heavy song. So yeah. Yeah. I was, I was bobbing my head the whole time. I like the tempo. I like the music, the musicianship on it, but you know, then we just fucking all those lyrics we just mentioned. And then we have even like a couplet where they just say generation, single patience, contamination, suffocation <laughs> like <laughs> when in doubt just rhyme words that end in asian i guess like it's 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 such bad lyrics such a terrible juxtaposition i'm curious about the songwriting credits on can't stop loving you because i feel like this must have come from one of those nashville publishing yes. house you know song well, Fredrickson again he he's a huge huge very productive song doctor right yeah Fredrickson. yeah okay so this didn't come from some from from some Nashville publishing house though, because this sounds like straight up early Taylor Swift. Yeah, yeah. Like this could be on like I could hear fifteen year old Taylor Swift. She'd probably crush this song. Yeah, but it does not sound like an Aerosmith song. A couple yeah. other things about this one: Van Halen had an up tempo, annoying ballad called "Can't Stop Loving You" as well in the in the Van Hager years, right? And uh, and that beat on this is is like a mix between a big John Bonham beat and a hip hop beat at the same time. Again, just like just like drums overruling everything, like overpowering everything. Yeah. I called it lazy cripple creek by way of cracker barrel bullshit is what i called it because <laughs> you get that you get that but it's not um but it, it's totally hollow it's it's and also like i don't want to hear about you know steven tyler talking about loving carrie underwood like she's 30 and you're a swamp hag like please stop Wait, carrie underwood her. is 30 I don't know. She's got to be, right? Maybe she's I, a little older than that. But uh, when they recorded this in 2012, she was probably 30. Yeah, yeah. you're right. You're right. She's... Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I mean... She would have been, been exactly 30, I believe. Also, what does it mean when I wake up and see your face, all that jump in a pigtail lace? <laughs> yeah. And then there's nowhere else I would rather be than all tied up in your rhapsody. Ew. That's not. We don't call pussies rhapsodies and we don't call them coochies either. Just so you know. <laughs> up to getting up to. I mean, 30 for Steven Tyler. He's oh, definitely right. gone younger than that. Oh, God. God. <laughs> ah, this song is garbaggio. It's fucking terrible, dude. I hate it. I hate it so much. A pigtail well, lace. 
Yeah. Just cut it out. I swear this is just something that, that was going to be on Taylor Swift's first album that got shelved. Or on Carrie Underwood's album. I mean, it, whatever. It was, yeah. I, I, yeah, I mean, I guess it goes back to that whole thing of them kind of aping and perform performing like this weird twang, this country twang, even though they're, you know, Joe Perry's from Lawrence, Massachusetts, but um, I don't know why. Why don't they just do all the songs like "Lover" a lot? You know, like why yeah. couldn't they just do like a rockin' album? Exactly. Why did they feel like they needed these ballads? Did they think it would actually sell well if they threw so many ballads and country songs and 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 weird. Uh, yeah, but literally up to this point, it. it's it has actually. You know, it the ballads are probably half their record sales. That's true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a huge, huge deal. So don't want to miss it. And then it's also Stephen just getting his way. He's he's more or less the boss of the band, so it's him getting his way. Don't forget, he did a whole country album, right? So there's that crossover with this as well. Right? Oh, I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> I did forget. Was it good? Yeah, it was it was new country. It was as good as any new country album, I suppose. I mean, it, it basically sounded like this. Like right? that, yeah. So, so, no, so it's not it good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. All right. All right. Let's uh, let's do the next couple, huh? All right, let's keep going. This next one is called "We All Fall Down." This next one is also a ballad. It's fucking bad, and it's followed by Freedom Fighter featuring our boy Johnny Depp and the backing vocals or something. I don't know. Freedom Fighter, a guest song from Hollywood Undead. <laughs> it's just a Hollywood Undead song. Or Hollywood Vampires, you mean? Oh, yeah, Hollywood Vampires. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I mix yeah, up yeah. I mix up those monsters, those Hollywood monsters. <laughs> Are they All undead? Right. Are they vampires? <laughs> I don't, they're, they're both. <laughs> I would love, I would kill for some Hollywood Undead right now. Are you kidding me? All right, let's go. <laughs> I will catch you. bad um <laughs> this is a never trump republican song for sure Ew. joe perry's a or describes himself as an old school republican <sighs> but he he draws the line at uh when you leave a trail on the blood-soaked ground and it stains us all and it tears us down the guns you carry and the bombs you make cause too many tears too many hearts to break i pulled out the lyrics uh that's hell to pay if you don't give us rights one man's terror <laughs> is another man's freedom fight which got me questioning which rights are you being denied currently joe perry what any rights are you denied anything um well, i you can't thought, leave the house 
Oh, well, that's not true. Yes. Well, that's why I took this a little further and I said, yeah, right. This is the anthem of the Michigan armed militia standoff over the right to get a haircut in a mostly abandoned strip mall. Like this is this is that kind of energy on this song. This is like, what the fuck, dude? Like Aerosmith wishes it was that it was that uh, theme song. They couldn't even make a successful Patriots tribute anthem. (laughs) And contrary to Steven Tyler, Joe Perry sounds very tired on this. Very bad. He sounds like Shane McGowan level drunk. <laughs> well, this this is the thing thing with Joe, right? I mean, he he is he is basically it's that same Keith Richards template. He's got to get on there. I love Keith Richards' voice, though. I mean, Joe's voice never sounds good on these things. He has he has a walk on on one of them. One of his early ones was Bright Light Fright on Draw the Line, nineteen seventy seven. So he he sings. He he says he kind of insists he's got to get in there and do some singing. And he does not have a good singing voice. And I think the reason he doesn't have a good singing voice is because he doesn't really exert himself or push a lot of air. So when you're not pushing a lot of air, you're 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 not going to be you know too on key all the time, right? So he sounds yeah. fragile when he's singing. But and it's, it's funny those lyrics. So you know the lyrics are Ted Nugent and the music is kind of Ted Nugent. I mean, this yeah. is this is, a, this is rock and rolly. It's it's again it's a tiny bit punk rock, but it also has that that desperado spaghetti western chorus, which is which is like that dangerous punk rock sort of chorus thing. Um, you you hear a little bit of this kind of Joe Perry on his solo albums. He's got some pretty cool solo albums. At least the first two are pretty cool, where he has that sort of squalid, uh, you know, uh, heroin sort of uh, Johnny Thunders, New York Dolls, uh, Dirty Angels, Thunder Train to mention a couple Boston bands. Um, that that sort of um, that that sort of uh, urban squalid uh, hard rock heavy metal out of him. So so it makes sense that Johnny Depp is on this thing as well. Um, but yeah, not not a not a terrible song. I because it kind of does redeem itself a little bit at the chorus. The 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 lyrics, yeah, it's it's too bad they're 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 kind of uh, they're kind of Ted Nugent-y lyrics, I suppose. Um, I, but yeah, yeah. I didn't I, love it, but it's certainly better than We All Fall Down. Oh my God. What is we we all fall down? It the, it doesn't even sound like Eros. I mean, it's like what no. band is this? Like, what is even happening? Like, I don't. I this is written by Diane Warren. It's not written by any of them. It's a cloying, saccharine, you know, whiny ballad. It's just so boring, and it's five minutes long, and it just is endless. It's so piano endless. strings. Yeah, D- Diane Sucks. Warren is is like the biggest one of these ballad writer. Um, you know, uh, song doctors. I, I believe she might have been even uh, Angel, so she might have actually started this whole thing off. So yeah, she was definitely. I don't want to miss a thing. Yeah. yeah, which was my first slow dance. Oh, that's precious. <laughs> that my was friend's first... bar mitzvah. <laughs> I love that. Oh man, you know one thing. Uh, I was Caroline to... Melionis. Oh boy, that was <laughs> surely something. One of the funny things about this whole I don't want to miss a thing, what could have been love, we all fall down, is they fall into that. Uh, it was it was essentially meatloaf that started this having a lot of small, boring words in the song titles uh, to make up a ballad, right? And then and then it, it kind of went along as, as, as we went along with these songs. So there's a lot of these ballads that have a whole lot of small, boring words in them. I would do anything for love, but yeah, I won't do exactly. that. <laughs> yeah, that and all that. Yeah. You're you're a scholar of the genre. Um what what was Meatloaf referring to? What was that? 
<laughs> I just watched a meatloaf doc. I mean, I've seen him live once too, and it's pre it's pretty incredible that shtick that they invented for all that. But no, I don't know. I, meat meatloaf was a was a strange gumbo of a, a bunch of things sort of coming together. That theatrical thing, the being super overweight thing, and sweaty, and the and the shaking microphone and all that kind of stuff. So he. But but yeah, he he kind of started that thing, I think, with with all those little words, and then and then it carried through. It's almost like a code they're all speaking. Uh, that uh, you know what? Let's uh, this this is this is like the uh, the deep state, the new world order of making these ballads. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. secret language, the Kabbalah of uh, yeah. of ballads. <laughs> um, yeah, again, it just it was just was Brian Adams all over again to me. Um, and they didn't even release this as a single. Like, if you're gonna bring in this like pop ballad song doctor uh, who wrote your biggest single of all time, and then like you go through, you're doing the songs and you and, and you're picking your singles, and you, this isn't even good enough for a single. If it's not good enough for a single, it's not good enough for the album. Like, just get it out of there. Yeah, right. exactly, yeah. Well, Likewise, goes... I feel like uh, the, the Joe Perry song was one he, I'm sure he had to fight for. Oh, yeah. And he right. probably, I'm sure he fought for the other one that's coming up in a second, too. Because um, I wouldn't fight for it. Yeah, <laughs> I think it goes back to that comment that, you know, Martin, you kind of set the tone with this. It's just that, like, kind of lack of confidence or that lack of being able to follow through and, like, stand fully committed to the sound and to the mission or what they're trying to get across and kind of hedging their bets, doing too much or too little for too many, or, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, it sucks. Um, speaking of sucking, we should probably let's, let's move it right along and let's finish it with these last three tracks in a row. How about that? Okay. That works for me. All right, here we go. So we're going to finish it off with the last three songs, Closer, followed by Something, followed by Another Last Goodbye, going back to that point you made, Martin, about the word cloud of rock music. So let's go ahead. How many times can you turn away? You fall in love and then love falls away. You turn out the love when you turn out the light. You hit the Hitting that, hitting that high note, that falsetto. He sounds great on that song. Sounds it is a falsetto, though, right? So it's not, it's not hitting a high note, right? 
Well, you it's can still hard. hit a sour note on a falsetto, though. If you're, I've heard it. I've heard it. Right, he doesn't do it very often. That's for sure. It's pretty impressive. I mean, vocally, that that's the strongest vocal performance on the album. I think is another yeah. last goodbye. And that was the one ballad that really worked for me too. Yeah, agreed. It, well, it kind of gives you a little stairway to heaven mm-hmm. on it. It's got the sure. Mellotron. Yeah, right. Um, but it's yeah. I mean, and the the lyrics aren't terrible. Although he does talk about missing claw marks on his back, which is you know details that I could leave behind. <laughs> but um, yeah, there's such pageantry in it. It's like the flamboyance and extraness I want from Aerosmith, and I I you know I appreciated ending it on that note as opposed to uh, the songs before it because that shit uh, closer like. I didn't write anything about that one. That 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 song is complete filler, and it just made me so angry that the album was this long. And and then something is like, look, oh, I don't have a problem with the rest of the band getting a turn at the mic once in a while, but like you gotta hide them. You if you have a voice like this, you gotta make the track more interesting to distract from it. Like this is a mid tempo two chord stomp. I need something to keep my attention. Yeah. it's so slow and the whole song is supposed to be so it's sung by joe perry another unnecessary joe perry track that i'm sure he fought for again um that he explains they said sure you can have your tracks at the very end of the album yeah here we go um but he said, I wrote it, I wrote something a long time ago back when there was a whole other batch of people around us, lawyers, managers that I was really pissed off at. He explained to Rolling Stone. It's a short bit of angst and pissed offness about these people that ripped us off forever. So that's actually going back to your point earlier, Martin, about like their like money troubles and stuff. But whatever the fuck it's about, if this is a fuck you song, this is about telling somebody off. This is the most flaccid middle finger I've ever seen. Like it is just the lamest, cheesiest, laziest way. It's so slow steven tyler's playing the drums and and just joe perry's just jerking off with this extended guitar stumble and his vocals are terrible it's it's just fucking stop yeah this one uh you know number one okay so you got joe perry you know what let's hammer let's hammer every trope to death and let's have joe perry sing two songs on the album that is a rare thing i mean i don't know if they've ever done that before so here he is doing two and it's also Probably the worst vocal he's ever done uh, on yeah. uh, on any on any Aerosmith album. Uh, the speed of it, it's interesting. This sounds like one of those songs you hear bands saying, "Let's try." You know, we're writing a song. Let's try it at a whole bunch of different speeds. This is one that might have sounded pretty good if it was sped up, if Joe wasn't singing it. And I was sort of envisioning, um, you know, the the idea of of having one of these songs where you stop and then the vocal happens uh, a little bit like a uh, black dog, but, but yeah. sped up, right. This song sped up right. might've sounded pretty cool. It's, it's, oh, definitely. it's not, not a terrible, terrible, you know, rock and roll uh, premise to it, but speed it up, you know, instead of, and, and then don't add anything to it. So instead of it going 437, speed it up and let it, let it end at 227 or something like that. Right. And, right. and have Steven sing it and closer. I thought, and, you know, both of these, drag and drag i mean that different than um too slow and i don't mean you know you know before the beat or anything it's just the drums wear you out they're so fatiguing on this album that everything sounds just dragged down by the multi-tracking as you mentioned mike of, of the drums there's just too much of that going on um and again you get a modulation in that one uh, to the chorus um but yeah just 
you, you just get tired by the drumming on these songs because it, it is just all, all of the tempos seem is essentially too slow and uh, and and too much multi-tracking and, and too much uh you know overbearing on it but closer it, it's 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 nice that it's got a little bit of a, a dark bluesiness, which we haven't heard on the album. But then again, it's Aerosmith just ticking off all those boxes. And the last thing I want to mention on ticking off the boxes is we have to go to the last track, 15, and we bring in the other biggest song doctor of all time, Desmond Child. So let's hammer every single trope to death. Let's, instead of having two of everything, let's have three of everything. And, uh, and that's how you get to 15 tracks. You got, you got more Joe Perry singing. You got every song doctor going. You've got more ballads than probably on, a, on any previous Aerosmith uh, album. So again, it's, it's just that thing of just trying way too hard in every single department. Yeah. Right. It took them six years to make this album. They started working on this album in 2006. And I get the sense that they did not exclude a single thing that they worked on in that six years. Like, I think that this is a hundred percent of what was worked on over that time. It's so bloated. It's so, you know, it's, it's so overproduced. There's so many songs. The songs are so long. There's so many parts to them. Um, it's, it's too much. It is far too much. Right. But um, too much and by at least has some nice Harry Nielsen esque, like, you know, emotionally charged chord changes and little minor lifts and whatnot that one at least that was probably my second favorite song in the album after the beastie boys Lincoln park fugazi one <laughs> that was up there um yeah i i i think emotionally the vocal performance was also very emotionally connective like it was raw the trem it, again the vocals on that one that didn't sound overly produced so what do you say? We I think it's time for us to rate the album. And uh, Martin, so every album on the show, because it's a bad music podcast, so we don't review good music. It's always on a zero to negative five scale. Uh, so zero being true neutral, it was fine. Uh, to negative five being like, this is absolutely like the worst uh, sounds I've ever heard assaulting my eardrums. So we are going to rate it from zero to negative five. And usually we let our guests go first and you get to pick it's zero to negative five of something. So it could be like Steven Tyler or Gasma squawks, or it could be <laughs> broken knees. I don't know. Something that's <laughs> in any way relevant to the band itself. Okay. I'll go, uh, I'll go with uh, negative four of Tom Hamilton quizzical disinterest <laughs> it just feel i just see this look on his face saying what has happened to uh what has happened to us over these years so i'll go minus four because i like about uh 20 to 25 percent of the album okay all right i think i was going to be more generous than you martin but what about you mike dunn yeah i guess i'm going to be more generous too i'm going to give this a negative three and a half quizzical tom hamilton uh expression or what expressions of disinterest yeah, Exp yeah expressions of disinterest yes uh i you know i i will say that like i was impressed by some aspects of the album i was impressed by steven tyler's uh vocal ability that he still has those pipes um and i was impressed at some of the audacious choices they made some of the some of their experimentations were you know, while they didn't fully work, I thought were at least like I could applaud them for trying. 
Um, and you know, there there are a few a few tracks that I sort of enjoyed, um, which is saying a lot from someone who's never really been very much into Aerosmith. Um, but there's also so much bloat, um, so much that should have been left uh, on the cutting room floor that that you know there this this album really urgently needs editing and i don't think it got any and i think that's its biggest fault um which is interesting i I thought they would falter in other ways they certainly faltered but uh they they zigged when i thought they would zag (laughs) yeah i feel like that's that that pretty much sums it up for me too i'll give it a negative i'll give it a negative three because i there were parts that um i really did enjoy um vocally I think I really I latch on to good vocal performances and like the emotional connectivity to good good uh, vocal performances um but that being said the lyrics were so atrocious that it like it totally canceled it out in some moments where it's like I'm like oh my god like this you know this he's hitting this high note but he's saying boogie woogie ya ya at the same time so like what the hell does this does this count do I give it points um but I do give it points for ostentatiousness for flamboyance for pageantry and ridiculousness I basically am giving all the points to to Steven Tyler sorry Joe Perry um he's winning on this album in in particular um because yeah it's very convoluted it's way too long um and it's a shame because like it would be great see Aerosmith is the band that it they're gonna perpetually fake out their retirement you know they're always gonna have like oh this is the farewell but not really just like their their album had to have 70 more you know seven more tracks than it needed um they're just gonna keep doing the encore forever rather than having kind of like a tight cohesive uh strong ending which i feel like they are capable of if they wanted to end with a really strong album this could have potentially been it but as you said mike the editing is not there and that's a huge part of artistry is editing um, and that's usually what's lacking on the albums that we talk about on this show. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. So negative three. So, um, well, I want to say thank you so much to you, Martin, for spending the last two hours of your Sunday with us uh, ranting about Aerosmith and and uh, blacklisting you from any future interviews <laughs> with any of the members. I hope no, but it- this is so in-depth and so sincere <laughs> that if they actually watched this and, and literally went through it from start to finish, they'd, they'd probably agree with almost everything we said and they, they'd probably realize this is probably the first people who said no to us in a long time. <laughs> That is the biggest compliment we could ever uh, get as a show. Cause I, I appreciate that. We are sincere. We're not just haters, <laughs> <laughs> although we are that too. Um, the, so Martin, tell us about uh, history and five songs. Tell us about all the projects you have going on the new rush book, uh, plug anything you want to plug again. I, I can't believe it. you're so smart and you're so, uh, you have such in-depth knowledge. Like this is, uh, one of my favorite episodes by far. It's been so cool. Just um, listening to you. So where can people listen to you, uh, and learn from you and read your books and all that? Yeah, so uh, so the latest book is Ru- our Anthem Rush in the 70s. It's going to be, there's going to be a Limelight Rush in the 80s and then a Driven Rush in the 90s and in the end. Uh, so it's a big, huge trilogy. This will be six Rush books when it's all done. Uh, so that just came out. And also at the same time, I had uh, Denim and Leather, Saxon's First 10 Years. That just came out. Um, 
all my books are available. Uh, basically, a large part of what I do is my mail order of my own books. So I sign them and send them out of the office here. Uh, so martinpopoff.com. There's full descriptions of every book that is in print. There's PayPal buttons, buy now buttons for U.S., international, Canada. Um, I've also, uh, let's see, what else? The, the podcast is History in Five Songs. So I basically pick five song clips that make a point about something. I'm up to about 44 episodes of that. We've got a YouTube show called The Contrarians, where we um, we find a band where one of the three of us thinks their best album is an odd choice. And then that person has to uh, argue that album. So that's a good show. I love that. I would, if you ever want to <laughs> negotiate the crossover, let us, well, let us sure, know. Sure, sure, yeah. So, <laughs> so that's basically it. All that stuff, like I say, a lot of mail order. Um, I've got a bluish called Visual History coming up soon. Uh, I did three books on Iron Maiden, so I'm about two thirds the way through uh, Empire, The Clouds, Iron Maiden in the 90s. So yeah, 80, wow. 80 90 ish books. And I'd say 50, 50 of this, 50 ish of them are, uh, are still in print and available from martinpopoff.com. Wow. Awesome. Holy shit. Well, thank you again, Martin, for being here. This has been so fun. And definitely check out all of Martin's stuff. And yeah, you can find us at uh, makeitstoppodcast.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at makeitstopcast. You can send us an interpretive dance about Tanetta. Is that where we're at now? Is that the uh, yeah, new TikTok. ask? Tanetta TikTok. Tanetta TikTok. So you can send us a Tanetta TikTok. Uh, we have received our five paragraph essay on Hinder. So that is no longer what we will be asking for. Uh, a Tanetta TikTok seems oh, easier in many ways. So uh, you all, you've been warned. Make it happen. Oh. Wait, no, it was a Tanetta interpretive dance. And also it was a YouTube Bono falsetto TikTok. That's Yes. Right. Okay, correct. So you can send us either of those things or you could just send us an email. Uh, we love to get emails. We love suggestions. So we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. All right, guys. Thanks again. The Make It Stop podcast is recorded at the Boston Free Radio podcast studio located at Somerville Media Center in Union Square in Somerville. It is produced and edited by Heather McCormick, and the music that we use for our show has been produced by Patrick Ahern. Thanks for listening. Hi, everyone. We're your beer-drinking babes. I'm Ashley. And I'm Nagy. And we're from Rock Candy Podcast. Every week, we bring you a story from the world of music while drinking thematic beers. Did you ever wonder how much Charles Manson inspired the music you love today? Did you know that Joy Division and New Order are virtually the same band? Are you aware of how weird Kesha really is? Like, how she had sex with a ghost? Do you also not understand what Post Malone is? Because we don't. Well, we got you covered. Behind the Music isn't around anymore, but we're here to pick up the slack. And be a little drunker. Yeah, so go ahead and look for Rock Candy Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you catch your pods. And with that, party on, kids. Party on. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 